Welcome to PICGO Happenings. I'm your host, Diana McFarland. I'm here to give you a front row view of county government. Welcome listeners. Um, we're so glad to have you here today for our next episode of PITCO Happenings. Today we are at the Blair's Volunteer Fire and Rescue Department, and we are here with um, Deputy Chief of Administration, Stephen Bartz. He is going to talk to us about, and I'm sure you've all heard about it, it's been in the news quite a bit, the North Point Apartment Fire. But we're going to hear about it from the point of view of the firefighters and um, what they did to prevent any loss of life, which apparently was quite amazing because this was a very large apartment fire in the world of apartment fires. Um, and we're also going to talk about, you know, what they did there on the ground and what could be done maybe going forward to maybe mitigate these sort of events going forward. So, Chief, Deputy Chief, welcome here today. So glad to have you. Thank you. We appreciate you having us. You, um, Blair's Volunteer Fire Department, was on the scene first, I understand, because this is under your district. That's our, our first new area. Um, they're right up to the city limits on 29. Okay. And what time did the call come in? A little after 5 in the morning um, on, I think that was the November the 12th, so that was a little after 5 in the morning on Sunday morning. And um, really, the, the response to North Point um, started months and years prior to that initial dispatch. Um, so in 2019, um, I think that was late winter, early spring of 2019, we had a, a fire at North Point Apartment, a very similar set of circumstances. Um, and um, it was a daytime incident and did not quite... Uh, have the same fire progression, the amount and volume of, of fire involvement that we saw um, the other week. And so that started a, a lot of deliberation on our part here at Blair's and, and some discussions about the tools that we would need to, to adequate, adequately mitigate that, that set of circumstances. And, and, you know, in the fire service, it's our business to, to figure out how to best mitigate all manner of calamity and, and uh, catastrophe. And so those buildings are, are unique in the fact that they're wood-framed um, apartments. They have a single shared stairwell between two um, two adjoining, uh, I guess, sets of apartments. So there's it's 12 per unit and 24 per building. There are actually two buildings. Um, so it's and they're they're separated. There are two stairwells per structure. But um, you've got 12 units that are, are in three floors that are separated there. And so um, access to the rear of those buildings is only um, accessible by a portable ground ladder. At three stories, that requires something at least 35 feet. Um, most of the fire engines uh, that you'll see don't carry 35-foot ladders. They carry 24-foot ladders. Just a, It's a space thing. Um, we do carry a few 35s on some stuff, but they are three-section 35, so they're extremely heavy, very difficult for certainly one man, if not impossible for one man, but usually there are two or three-man operations to be able to get those up and, and uh, in use. So what happened at that fire in 2019 that 
made you more prepared for this one? We realized that that single means of egress meant that if that if that fire happened in the middle of the night, as it did, um, and folks were not awakened in a very timely manner, um, that there would be victims trapped on the third floor, and, and specifically the third and second floor to the rear of that structure. Um, that was the point at which uh, we decided and, and began investigating and, and ultimately purchased uh, a 100-foot aerial device, a, a ladder truck that has Number one, 35-foot ground ladders, uh, but also has a 35-foot aerial piece to it. And uh, we put that in service uh, like June or July of 2021. Actually, a fairly short time frame as, as fire trucks go, uh, being able to get one. And, and then it was a matter of, matter of uh, training our people to use uh, the aerial device and the ground ladders. And we had some folks who are very experienced in that from some departments uh, in some municipal departments in the state of Virginia came down and taught some some courses for us on how to best use that piece of apparatus. So, you know, the we we like to 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 talk about that singular event, but there were quite a few building blocks that led to the success that that we saw um, that Sunday morning in November. So when this call came in on November twelfth, then you knew. We need to take that ladder truck. Absolutely. And, and so uh, part of what, you know, you'll hear people call them SOP, Standard Operating Procedures or Standard Operating Guidelines, SOGs is what we call them here. Uh, that's part of our SOGs. Um, anything that's two stories and above gets a ladder on the first two assignments. So um, just so that we have the, the aerial there, you know, should we need it. From the, the initial calls that dispatch relayed to us, it, it was an absolute necessity to have that that truck there. So we're we're taking an engine to put the fire out, but we're taking the ladder uh, because we knew that their their initial dispatch said they were trapped occupants. So we knew that there were folks that were going to require rescue. And by our knowledge of the building and the circumstances, we knew they were probably going to be on the rear or on one of the sides where access is limited. Describe to us what the scene was like when you arrived, because I've seen pictures like first pictures and they're just terrifying. So what did you see when you got there? Yeah, so um, I, I, I came from home, um, so I was a little behind the first arriving engine and, and truck company. They were in the process of throwing um, the ladder to the, so we use A, B, C, D to decide to decipher the sides of the building. Mm-hmm. So A is always a street side and then it goes to the left. So they were on the on the B side, on the Bravo side of that structure, um, getting the ladder up. And we had a firefighter going up the ladder to get somebody off the third floor on the Bravo side. Did they have to carry um, the person down? They did not. They did not. Um, in both instances, both of them that were rescued on portable ground ladders um, were able to come down the ladder themselves but it's you know for people who don't do that every day and uh especially 35 feet in the air it's it's a little daunting um you know for anybody especially in that set of circumstances oh, so, yeah. um, we always send somebody up so that they can help facilitate them getting out the window that's that's actually harder than you would imagine it to be getting out of the window and onto the ladder that was about the time frame that that I got there. They we were still being informed by the dispatchers, um, you know, that there were folks trapped on the rear of the building. The volume of fire was extraordinary. It was from the first to the third floor and involved basically that the the stairwell um, and then the balconies to the right and left of that stairwell. So, um, you know, in in our mind, we realize and recognize very quickly that we know that's the only way that they can get out. I was say, um, is that the only way out of there? Yep, yeah, and that's the only oh. only way out of there. So there are um, like kind of like a common foyer. Uh, there are four apartments per floor, and mm-hmm. there's uh, like a little area that that leads to that stairwell. 
well. And, and so once um, that became involved, you know, the only way that they were getting out was was with our assistance. And so especially from the third floor, I guess if, if worse came to worse, um, you know, jumping's an option, but there's some significant trauma, traumatic injury that's going to occur if you jump from 35, 40 feet, especially the rear of the 600 building it also slopes off like they're they're kind of built up on a bit of a pedestal. And so it would have been, you know, an extra six or seven foot to actually make it to the ground. Um, we were very fortunate. Those folks that were trapped on the on the rear, there's a alcove in that cuts into the building where the um, air conditioning units sit at ground level and it's it's flat. It doesn't have that same slope, oh, okay. and that's where we were able to set that uh, that ladder up and, and go up and get those folks from from the back side of the building. Now, how many how many rescues did you all make? So out of the the so you have a six hundred and the six oh eight. They're attached to one another. Um, six hundred is on fire. Six oh eight is catching on fire. Mm -hmm. uh, they share a common attic, so we we know that there's fire involvement going into the six oh eight. So out of the actual fire building, so those pictures that you see where it's you know, all floor flames, to like ceiling. Yeah, all, uh, there were five that we got off of off of the ladders there, and then in the six hundred eight building, there were an additional five who, because of smoke or physical disability or something, they could not self extricate themselves. Um, and we had other crews that had gone up uh, in the six hundred eight building and, and assisted those folks down. So a total of ten um, that that we you know actively helped and countless others that, you know, were able to get out either prior to our arrival or, you know, not not terribly uh, long after the fire was initially noticed. Now, are, are there fire alarms available or how does that work? So there are smoke detectors. Smoke detectors, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. In, in every one of those units, but they are not hooked to a common alarm system. So if your smoke detector goes off, it doesn't necessarily mean that mine does. So that prevented fire and smoke had to spread into your apartment okay. um, for your smoke detectors to be activated. And that was um, part of the issue why so many folks were, were not alerted immediately because um, the fire had not, especially in the 608 building, the fire hadn't progressed over to them yet. We're, we're kind of surprised to see the fire department banging on, on doors and oh, really? so on and so forth. <laughs> wow. And was there a sprinkler system or anything like that? It, those buildings are not sprinklered. Um, as I understand it, during the time of construction, they were not required to be. And uh, and so they're grandfathered into that, that code. Um, and unless there is significant modification to uh, the building itself, then, then they're still you know eligible for that grandfather exemption for, for the sprinkler. So, um, you know, it's... Um, the the folks though that were were there you know the the occupants who got out they were in the parking lot blowing their car horns you know kind of oh, they were doing whatever okay. they could do to try to alert their neighbors I was and, wondering how people found yeah, out if they were, were asleep were letting anybody and everybody they could know uh, get there and and the other side you know we had law enforcement Virginia State Police uh, the Pennsylvania County Sheriff's Office you know I, I saw couple of Virginia State policemen throwing ladders. I saw uh, Pennsylvania County Sheriff's deputies were helping us find the folks. You know, um, those buildings are, are big. They're yeah, they are. Know, about 200 and some odd feet long. And so you can't, if you're standing on the front side of that building, you can't see much of either side and certainly not the rear. While we were involved in Rescue A, they were 
were identifying where the folks were for the next rescue and so on and so forth. So it was a it was a collaborative effort, um, not only you know amongst the fire departments because you know I do I don't want to I don't want Blairs to take you know the lion's share of credit here. Every fire department in Pennsylvania County sent people. They sent trucks. Um, you know, and that was uh, a blessing. <laughs> Yeah, we should probably touch on that. You said that the 911 center realized immediately that this was yep. a countywide call. Yep. So they sent that out immediately. That's correct. And so you, you had a couple of dispatchers that were working that night that are firefighters themselves. Oh, really? Um, oh, okay. And so from A, from the volume of calls that they were receiving, and B, from uh, they were receiving calls from trapped occupants uh, and knew... They had, one of them in particular had been at that fire in 2019, oh. knew the layout of the building. He knew, you know, kind of what was going on. And, and so they took it upon themselves prior to our arrival. They issued an all call. And what that did, yes, it took some time for those companies to make their way to North Point because they're, they're you know, geographically far away. I heard they came as far as Cool Branch. They did. And, um, but what that allowed was a steady flow of people coming in because all of the, the the first arriving and maybe even the second arriving expended all their energy and effort um, making rescues and getting that initial water on the fire. And so 20, 30 minutes at working, you know, at that pace, uh, you need a break. And yeah. so we needed that continual flow of folks coming in to help help mitigate the circumstances. So I can't say enough about the response from all, all of our neighboring departments and our neighbor and neighboring uh, departments. You know, folks from Cool Branch, Renan, um, you know, the far reaches of, of the northern end of the county, Gretna, uh, Hurt was there as well. So I, there was not a... a a fire department in Pennsylvania County that did not send resources uh, to that fire. And we're so appreciative of that because it would have been uh, a much no, much different set of circumstances had it had it been uh, fewer folks. Yeah, we should probably mention that these folks are volunteers. That's correct. And they're yeah. getting woken up out of bed. And it's not like they're <laughs> in the station waiting for a call. That's right. And, and you know, and again, it's Cool Branch or Renan or Hurt for, for that matter. You know, try waking up in the middle of the night. Uh, startled and get dressed and, and get on the road in, in three, four, five minutes, um, whatever the case may be. But, but then you've got a 25 or 30 minute drive. So, um, you know, those those folks um, are, are certainly near and dear to, to our heart when they, they heard the all call and knew what was going on and, and said, uh, you know, we're going to be a minute, but we're coming. <laughs> And we should also mention that the city of Danville also responded. Absolutely. And so that, that call was made um, uh, very quickly on as well. I, I can't remember. I have to go back and listen to the tape. I, I think that they were requested prior to, to first arrival as well. Um, and so the city of Danville sent an engine and a ladder. The the water pressure issue that we experienced on the hydrants that are inside the complex had the city of Danville not had their engine. Uh, they were able to lay out to um, to a, a city hydrant on the other side of Seminole Drive really? and and give us city water. We we would have had um, a very difficult time controlling that fire. And um, if you go back and and listen to the tapes. Chief Fowler, in one of his radio transmissions early on, is he's fairly confident he's going to leave, lose two buildings just because of the progression of of, um, of fire, and and we were able to keep that really the fire damage to one one building, and uh, yeah, there was some smoke and water damage to the adjacent, but um, in the grand scheme of things, it it um, went fairly well as far as that was concerned. 
Yeah, I heard the water pressure was an issue. Yeah, and, and those are private hydrants. You know, they're they're not maintained by, you know, any municipality. So, um, you know, that it, it's an issue. And, and it is a, a, a bit difficult to be stared at that volume of fire, uh, number one, and know that, you know, your, your water resources are limited. And while all of that was being worked out on scene with the city of Danville, um, you know, our 911 dispatch center staff, had already been kind of forward thinking and they paged again for people to bring tankers because they oh. weren't they they weren't sure that we could get water from the city and so um they were going to shift a bunch of of uh rural water supply resources down there so we could get water if we needed it so um you know it's it really is a collaborative effort um and and folks uh, seeing three four five steps ahead um and being able to make those calls quickly yeah, I didn't realize what a proactive effort the dispatchers do, that they could th- think ahead, like, we're going to need water, and just yeah. go ahead and do it. Yeah, and go ahead and do it. And, and you know, it's just like a, a competitive sport, right? You know, really, the, the real work takes place in practice and not on game day. Um, yeah, you got to give all the effort on game day, but, you know, we as, a, as an organization here at Blair's put a lot of time and effort into thinking through what can happen, how it happens, and what we can do to preserve life and property. Our, our ladder is currently out on the call, but if, um, you know, that that is a, a tool um, that if, if it had not been there, there, there would be five people that are walking the earth today that, that aren't because we would not have had those 35-foot ladders, and it just boils down to that, that One tool. simple set of circumstances. Now, do you all practice climbing in windows and pulling people out? We do, and so, um, you know, here at at Blair's, we train um, every Monday, uh, and sometimes it's for for fire-related circumstances, sometimes it's for EMS, and sometimes it's mopping floors, but... (laughs) We uh, we do participate in trainings, and then um, you know our our membership goes and takes state level classes, uh, and sometimes national level classes, just depending. Um, you know we've got we've got a, a highly highly motivated and highly trained group of people here at Blair's, and uh, they take the initiative to go out and and obtain the skills uh, to be able to uh, to do what they do. Now, we're, I'm sure the rescue squad, well, you all are rescue squad. Were yeah. there any additional rescue squads that responded? Absolutely. I'm, I'm also fairly certain um, that every uh, rescue squad in, in the county sent a transport. They also were sending in uh, additional EMTs or, in a lot of circumstances, ALS, um, you know, folks that are advanced life support. Because, you know, in the first you know, 15, 20 minutes of that incident, you're, you're really not sure how many injuries you're going to have and what the scope of those injuries are going to be. Um, you know, they, and, and thankfully most of them were really orthopedic traumatic. That's injuries, what I heard. You know, from folks jumping, jumping. out of windows or, or falling down the stairs or whatever the, the case may be. Um, but you really didn't know whether or not you were going to end up with significant burn injuries or smoke mm-hmm. inhalation issues. Yeah. And er, early on, they just started dumping um, EMS resources, you know, toward the scene as, as fast as they could go. So, um, you know, we're very thankful to all the all the rescue squads because that that end of it went very smooth. They were able to to triage those patients, uh, assess them as to the severity of their injuries, and get them to a medical facility in in a very timely manner. Yeah, I think all I heard was broken bones. Are there any burn injuries it, given not, all these flames? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Wow, that's that's incredible. 
it was certainly, you know, something that is the, the scope of that incident is just tremendous. Right. But um, and I hate to keep reiterating, but we we plan for the worst. Right. And, and that's that's the worst. Uh, that's about as bad as it gets in that certain set of circumstances. So how long did it take you to put out the fire? Uh, so, so to fully extinguish it, I think our crews were there. Um, so to three o'clock the next afternoon, oh, really? um, we ended up having to bring in some uh, an excavator. So there was a lot of confusion as to whether or not um, everyone was accounted for. So just for instance, if, if you jump out the window and I made it down the stairs, you, you broke your arm. So now you're at the hospital. You, you're not confident that I made it out. And I'm not, I'm telling the people at the scene that I'm not sure where you went either. Um, and so it, it was uh, quite a number of hours before we could confirm that everyone had made it out safely. It's, it's kind of nerve wracking, you know, on our part, because once you get that uh, adrenaline letdown from the initial response um, and then it's it's did did we get everybody? You yeah, know, how do you know if you got everybody? everybody? Yep. And so um, the folks from public safety, Director Key did a, a fantastic job trying to organize that and. Um, the folks from the Red Cross setting up, they were there really, maybe they 20 were there. or 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, they were there the right away. I'm not exactly sure. Kind of established a staging area for residents to report um, if they were all, if everybody in their household was accounted for or if they were still missing folks and so on and so forth. So, you know, it, it's, and, and we talk about the guys that were climbing the ladder or the folks that were holding the hose or, or what have you, but there were so many pieces to that puzzle that made that what it was. Um, I just can't say enough about the, the response from everybody, you know, uh, from top to bottom and, and left to right. They did a fantastic job. Yeah, we should probably get some kudos out to Red Cross. Yeah. I know they set up in the laundromat across Piney Forest Road. Yep, and uh, and we're helping Director Key figure out who they were missing, what apartments they thought they were missing from, and, and so on and so forth. It, you know, and, and during the initial response, so dispatch is taking calls um, that someone's trapped in apartment XYZ. Well, you, when you look at that building in the state that it was in, it's very difficult to discern where X, Y, and Z is, right? They did a good job of they're on the balcony to the rear or they're out the window to the rear. Um, you know, it was that part of it is is I'm sure nerve wracking on their part because they're they're taking those calls. But then they they've got to kind of steal their nerves to be able to tell us how to get to them. And, and um, you know, did a did a great job there. So. We had a couple of private members that got there um, before the apparatus did and, you know, uh, had a number of people showing from the windows, showing from the balconies, um, you know, asking to be rescued. And, and um, I'm sure that was a that was a circumstance where minutes felt like hours. And, you know, I hear the sirens coming, but they can't get here yeah. fast enough. When all is said and done, did you all do like an after action thing? And did you are you going to tweak your response in any way? We are. And so we, we have done. um you know, internally, we've done a fairly uh, scaled down version of an after action. We do have plans to do uh, a, a, a very large one that includes everybody that responded to that. It's taken a little bit of time to get all of those parts and pieces together. I don't know that um, our tactics will change significantly. Um, you know, I would have liked to have had water on the fire earlier, but given the circumstance, we had a very limited number of people that were there in the original a few minutes life above property you know they uh, they went to work and did what 
had to be done to get those people to a, a, a safe set of circumstances, and then we'll address uh, address the fire. So that's that response has kind of played in our heads a number of times, right? So yes, it is the first time that we were experiencing it, you know, for for that moment. Um, but it's not something that we hadn't thought about, hadn't planned on, um, and kind of set up things to to you know make sure that we could do it adequately. Well, Chief Barge, thank you so much for giving us like the insider's view of how this fire went down, because I know a lot of people are talking about it. Yeah, no doubt. And and uh, I think it will be one of those that gets talked about for a long time. It'll be a, a training opportunity for a lot of folks, uh, us included. You know, there are some things that that, uh, you know, we would we would like to rehash and and do a little bit better. But I mean, even just uh, simple things like apparatus placement and, you know, the, the guy driving the ladder truck put it in a place that made the ladder pipe useful, you know, and and uh, and kept it out of harm's way. And so, you know, it's um, there. There are a lot of of uh, stages to that response. And and again, I, I want to reiterate how thankful we are for the rest of the departments in the county, um, whether that's law enforcement, the fire departments, rescue squads, um, the folks from public safety, Red Cross, you know, everybody that had a hand and and not only that, but the um, the the outpouring of support from the community after the fact. Oh yeah, there was a know, lot of that. Yeah. Tremendous, you know, and and for us uh, as well. I mean, I don't know who did it to this day, but um, you know, folks show up with biscuits from from Hardee's and Biscuitville, and, oh, yeah. and um, whoever you are, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, that was a welcome welcome thing, at, and when we've been there four or five hours, so um, you know, I, I I know that we as an organization uh, and as the fire service are, are kind of rehashing the tactical portion of, of all of this. And, um, but we are cognizant that the, you know, there are folks that lost everything they had and, and um, you know, we're thankful that the injuries weren't more significant than they were. And certainly thankful that there was no loss of life, but um, you know, we do do send our condolences to the folks that were involved in it. Well, thank you, Chief. Absolutely. Glad to do it. And uh, you know, we appreciate y'all taking the time to meet with us. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pitco Happenings. I hope you learned something informative. If you have a question or want to make a comment, give me a call or send a text to 434-489-8739.